turn with me in our Bibles this evening uh, to uh, the prophecy of Isaiah, and this evening uh, we're uh, turning to Isaiah chapter 40. We have finished our series through the book of Romans that we have been going through, and uh, this evening we want to turn our attention to the Old Testament uh, to Isaiah chapter 40. This is uh, a transitional part in Isaiah's uh, book. Um, and from this point on, it is known oftentimes as the book of consolation or the book of comfort. And you can see appropriately so as we come to these opening verses this evening. Isaiah chapter 40, if you're using the church Bibles, you'll find this on page 599. And we're reading verses 1 and 2. Comfort. Comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. The book of Isaiah is written, uh, obviously, by Isaiah, uh, but Isaiah's ministry is really uh, in a very turbulent time in the nation of uh, Judah's history. Uh, at the, this time, Isaiah is writing the, the nation of Judah and especially the city of Jerusalem have just faced and experienced a humbling defeat by the Assyrians. And the nation is really just barely surviving. Uh, Jerusalem is just trying to hold on. And as Isaiah is writing uh, this message to the people, uh, it's not over yet. Uh, 
their distress, their trouble is only going to mount. And if you go back even to the previous chapter, you'll notice that the nation of Babylon is coming to the forefront. And it is this nation, Babylon, that is going to completely crush uh, the, the nation of Judah. And in Isaiah chapter 39, it tells us that the Babylonians are going to uh, take everything in their storehouses. Uh, Jerusalem is going to be depleted. And eventually the, the people themselves are going to be taken into captivity. But as we come to Isaiah chapter 40, as mentioned, this is a, a transitional part in Isaiah's message to the people. Because God, although he is warning them of the judgment that would come upon them, if they continued in their rebellion, if they continued in their sin, he would give them up to their enemies. He would give them over to the foreign nations. Here in Isaiah 40, we are given this message of, uh, of God of comfort because God does not leave his people in despair. He does not leave them in their own sins and their own rebellion. But even in their rebellion, God uh, offers and extends to them this message of mercy. And so this evening, we want to come and look at these opening verses of Isaiah chapter 40. And we want to see that because the Lord offers the pardoning of iniquity, uh, we can be comforted when we turn to the Lord. And we want to look at this idea of comfort in two thoughts. We want to really think about the announcement of comfort. And then we want to think about the grounds for comfort. Well, first, we have the announcement of comfort there in verse 1. It says, comfort, comfort my people, says your God. If we're going to understand this message of comfort, we have to really bear down on the fact that this is a message from God himself. This is not merely the words of Isaiah. These are not merely the words of someone who wants to be an optimist about the future. This is not a message simply trying to tell people to buck up and to, to look forward to better days ahead. Tomorrow's a new day. This message of comfort is a message of comfort because it is coming from God himself. It is a message from the Lord. It finds its origin in the God of heaven and earth. And so it is only going to bring comfort if we receive it as a message from God himself. But the work of bringing this comfort is something that is to be carried out by God's messengers. Comfort, comfort my people says the Lord. And so the work of bringing that comfort is being transferred. It is to be executed by God's servants, which would include the prophets, which would include Isaiah himself. And so this, this commission, this work uh, of bringing comfort is one of bearing the word of God uh, to the people, which includes Isaiah himself. So it is an announcement of comfort, but it's an announcement that has a divine source. It is a divine or a God-originated or uh, message of comfort. But it is also not only a divine announcement, it is also a delightful announcement. Because when it uh, is expressing here is something that is to bring cheer. Again, the, the repetition of comfort is underscoring its importance. It is a great comfort that is going to be brought, and it is a comfort that is desperately needed. It is the importance of bringing this comfort that is being stressed and the greatness of the comfort that is to be realized. 
So it is a divine announcement, but it is also this delightful announcement. When you think of comfort, we might think of it in different ways. We can think about something that is being comforting when it is easing us of our trouble, when it is relieving us of a burden or a weight. It's no longer bothering us, and now we can have comfort. But we can also think of comfort in terms of its, its older usage, uh, that idea of fort or of uh, forte, uh, something that is with strength. And so it's not simply the easing of trouble, but it is something that grants strength and support. It's something that lifts us up. So it is both of these aspects that are really being carried out here. For instance, this language is used in other passages in, in Scripture to, to emphasize that. Remember when it, we are told that Jacob was informed that his son Joseph was dead. And it tells us that his sons and his daughters came to Jacob and they, they wanted and they tried to comfort Jacob. And it tells us that Jacob refused to be comforted. He would not be alleviated of that weight and that pain that he was bearing. And he would not find strength in all their counsel. He was still weighed down. And he was still bearing that pain in him. And he said, I'm going to take this to the grave. I will be a man who lost his son. And your words are not going to change that. So he had lost his strength on account of what he thought was losing his own son. And here, this language is that of uh, bringing comfort, of bringing support and strength to those who are in miserable situations. Again, the people of Israel are going to go from misery to misery. They have gone from defeat and they will go to an even greater defeat. They are going to be not only humiliated, their nation, their kingdom is going to be destroyed. They're going into captivity. And when they go into captivity, the thought is, is, is this all that there is? And so there's this message coming through in the darkness saying, comfort. Comfort my people. Because God's purposes are ongoing. Your sin has brought you here. Your sin has brought you into captivity. But God's purposes are still able to bring comfort in spite of your own foolishness. Every one of us has to look somewhere for comfort with the miseries or the troubles that we face, even on a day-to-day -day schedule. We might have a hard day, and we might joke about how we need to turn to some comfort food. And maybe we'd look to ice cream as our comfort food when we're having a rough day. Or maybe we might engage in some uh, comfort therapy of purchasing items that make us feel better. Maybe we like clothes or books, and that can make us feel a little better in the short term. We look to things to kind of alleviate uh, the burdens that we're going and bearing in life. But we have to ask ourselves, what ultimately is going to provide us with the greatest comfort, the greatest strength, the greatest relief from the things that weigh us down? And here, what we are taught in God's word is, is that it's from God himself. It's in the word of God that we're going to find the greatest comfort. These other comforts are short-term, but it's finding God's word that is going to bring us the greatest comfort of all. True comfort, then, comes not by distracting ourselves from our situation, but by acknowledging the entirety of God's revelation. 
the entirety of it. As counterintuitive as that sounds, that's how we find comfort. As we were looking at this morning with uh, the miracles of Jesus, it's in finding the entirety of what God's word says about ourselves. We are unclean. But when we realize our desperate situation, we're prepared to understand what God has done in Jesus Christ. We're, we're, we're ready to embrace God's means of comfort. And so we have to embrace all that God says to find true lasting comfort. Yes, the word of God brings conviction. It, it challenges us, it exposes us when the law says this is how you're to live and we say, that's not how I've lived. But then it also teaches us that God is a God who brings salvation. And when we look to what God has done, then we find a comfort that can't be taken away, even in the issues, uh, uh, the hardships that we face in life. And so this is not only a divine announcement of comfort, but it is also a delightful one. It's delightful in this way. Notice what it says there in verse 2. It says, speak tenderly to Jerusalem. Or if we look to the King James, it says, speak comfortably to Jerusalem. Literally, what that language is trying to convey is, speak to the heart. Speak to the heart. And if you trace that language out in scripture, you'll see that when that language is used, it's used with the idea of winning someone over, of persuading someone to your side. It is to convey a message that they actually want to hear. Again, if we turn back to the life of Joseph, we're told that after Joseph's father, Jacob, died, his brothers were filled with fear. Why? Because they thought that now Joseph's going to get his revenge. Now Joseph's going to turn on us. And so they fabricated this story. They came up saying that, uh, trying to protect themselves. But when Joseph heard of what they were saying and he knew of their fear, it tells us in Genesis chapter 50 that he said, Do not fear. For am I in the place of God? As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good, to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. So do not fear, I will provide for you and for your little ones. Thus he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. How did he comfort his brothers? He spoke to the heart. He gave them a message that ultimately was a delight to hear. Joseph was not going to kill them. Joseph did not harbor revenge and bitterness against his brothers. Joseph spoke to them the words that they wanted to hear. I'm not holding this against you. And so in that sense, it was, it was delightful for them to hear it. It was a message that won them over and they were able to let down their guard. They were no longer burdened about the sense that Joseph's coming against us. It was a message that brought comfort and strength to them. And now here's this message that Isaiah is to convey to the people of God. It is a message where it says, comfort, comfort my people. Speak to them in a way that they're going to, they're going to be thankful to hear it. This is a message that we are longing to embrace because it's a message ultimately of good news to those who are in a miserable situation, to those who know that they have chosen foolishness. Here's a message that just relieves them 
of that agony and reminds them and tells them that things are okay if they are looking to God. And so all of this really underscores a view of God. Rather than thinking of God as somehow simply opposed or against us, that God wants nothing to do with us or simply wants to, to, to pin us down, here's a message of God to those who have been living in their sins, to those who have been consistently rebellious. And here's a message where God says, speak to them in a way that brings them joy because there is a message of comfort in God. That God is a God who brings mercy towards sinners. There is salvation to those who turn to the Lord. So there is this announcement uh, of comfort. It is a divine announcement, but it is also an announcement that should bring delight. But then what is the grounds for this comfort? Why is Isaiah uh, allowed? What grounds does Isaiah have to announce this message of comfort from God? And we are told uh, of what that grounds is in verse 2. And you can see it even in the structure uh, of the the verse, that her warfare is ended and that she uh, has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. First, the grounds for comfort is, is that her warfare is ended. The language there is the language that is sometimes used for military service. Someone who would serve in the army would be allotted a period of time. But more generally, it's talking about a period of distress, a period of misery. And again, that's what Israel's going to go through, isn't it? They're going to face a period of great distress as their nation crumbles, as they go into exile. But here, the message is conveyed to them that it is a limited time that it is a period that will come to an end. Their, their period of distress was on, was on account of their sins. But despite this, the Lord would not leave them in their misery. There would be an end to their captivity. And that is fulfilled in history, isn't it? There is a remnant that does return from Babylon. There is a remnant that comes back to the land of Israel. But we have to think about this. Why is it that there is this misery at all? Why is it that there's this period of distress that characterizes life? Not just for Israel going into exile, but why is it that life itself has hardship built into it? In the book of Job, Job describes life in this very way. Job says in Job chapter 7, Has not man a warfare on earth? It's the same word. A hard service. Why is life filled with so much trial and distress? And the answer of the scriptures is is on account of sin. That sin has affected everything. And the conflicts that we see around us, the misery of life, ultimately finds its source on account of the fall uh, and the rebellion of humanity against God. What people, the, when people make war with the will of God, it only brings misery. But God's word of comfort here applies to uh, those who are faced with misery uh, on account of sin. But the second grounds of comfort is, is that not only that this period of misery will come to an end, not only is this not all that there is, this is just the way things will always be, 
Instead, we're told that the warfare is ended. There is a change. But then secondly, we're told her iniquity is pardoned. Iniquity is another word for sin. And the word iniquity simply means perversion. It means something that is deviated from the proper path. It's something that is not the way it's supposed to be. Uh, It is bent, in other words. It's not aligned correctly. If you drive a car, you know that one of the issues that can happen in your cars is that your tires can be misaligned. If your tires are not aligned correctly, what happens? The tire treads wear out unevenly and you prematurely ruin your own tires. And if you have misaligned tires, you can also affect your own safety in driving. A little deviation in the alignment of your tires can have a much uh, bigger impact on the the well-being of your tire. It can ruin your tire. It leads to disaster in that sense for the tire. But here, Scripture says that we are all misaligned. It might seem to be a very small deviation, but the point is, is that if we're not aligned with God's will, then we are still leading ourselves to our own destruction. That our rebellion against God's ways brings about our own undoing. And here, Scripture is highlighting that our problem is, is that we are not living in conformity to God's ways. We are people who are misaligned uh, from God. But the word of God here announces a word of comfort. Her iniquity is pardoned. It's paid for. Our sins are dealt with. And notice there, it doesn't say our sins are just removed, that they're no longer a problem. It's not as though God forgets about their sins. Rather, it says here that God has dealt with the sins. Something has happened and God has accepted or is satisfied with the payment so that the iniquity, the sin, is no longer a problem. The justice of God has been satisfied. And this uh, can be uh, extrapolated in uh, the following words. It says that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. Commentators are divided as to what those words mean. Uh, And they can be understood in one of two ways. One way to understand is in terms of abundant blessing. If you think of double, the word that is being used there is something that can mean uh, to fold in half. Uh, And if something is folded in half, you can think of it as in two sides. And so some commentators look at this and say that what is being expressed here is is that not only has the Lord dealt with their sins, but there's two sides to how God works. Not only has he pardoned their wrongdoing, but he has abundantly blessed them as well. And so you think of the many passages of scripture that celebrate that we have received grace upon grace, or that where (laughs) sin is present, grace all the more abounds. And that's a scriptural truth that we can celebrate. God not only deals with our problem, but he goes beyond that in abundantly blessing his people. But it seems right that what is being expressed here is not so much the abundant blessing as much as it is in the satisfying of punishment. 
that what is being expressed here is that the Lord has received, uh, uh, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. That what is being communicated here is a sufficient punishment on the basis of the Old Testament law. For instance, in Exodus chapter 22, it says, For every breach of trust, whether it is an ox or a donkey or a sheep, uh, for a cloak or any kind of lost thing, of which one says, this is it, the case of both parties shall come before the Lord. The one whom God condemns shall pay double to his neighbor. In other words, it's, it's stressing the severity of punishment. The wrongs will be righted. The wrongs will be dealt with and they will be punished. And so here it's that principle of dealing with uh, uh, of wrongs and of making wrongs right. And so here God has, their iniquity has been paid for because God has received the payment for their sins. Now, how is it that God has become satisfied for their sins? Again, there's only a couple of ideas or options before us. Some might say, well, Israel went into exile and they suffered the punishment for their sins. Maybe their suffering in Babylon was enough for them to have their sins taken away. But that doesn't make sense. It doesn't line up and it's filled with difficulties. Why? Because the law of God doesn't teach that we can atone for our own sins by what we suffer. And even the language that is being used here, that her iniquity is pardoned, that language is language that comes from the book of Leviticus. And the language in Leviticus is talking about her iniquity is paid for, is always describing God's acceptance on account of a sacrifice, a blood sacrifice. So when you look at what the law of God teaches, it teaches that God is satisfied he accepts payment for sin. How? On account of a blood sacrifice. When something has died on account of sin. That's how God's justice is satisfied. That's how punishment is meted out. And so when we look at the law of God, that's the basis for understanding how God uh, atones for sin. But even in Isaiah, when we ask this question, how is it that her iniquity is pardoned. How is it that our sins can be paid for? If you read on in this book, Isaiah comes to the answer himself. When we get to Isaiah 53, for the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. The servant of the Lord that is prophesied is the one who bears the punishment for sin. And so ultimately, in the fullness of time, we see that it is in Jesus Christ that a double punishment for sin is laid. That the Lord has pardoned our iniquities because he has received the payment. And that payment was applied uh, in and through the Lord Jesus Christ. That's how sinners can be restored to God. So what is the grounds of comfort here? Isaiah says... Because your situation is not the way things will always be. The Lord has not abandoned sinners in their misery. There will be an end to the warfare. And then he says that her iniquity is pardoned. 
And that iniquity, our sins being paid for, is something that is realized in and through Jesus Christ. True comfort comes from knowing what all of God's revelation says. You're in a miserable situation. You've broken covenant with the one true God. But the comforting fact is is that God has provided a savior in Jesus Christ. And that in him, you can have peace with God. That's where true comfort lies. Have you known that comfort yourself? To know that no matter what you're facing, you have peace with God. That no matter how your situation changes, in Christ,